none of us go through life uh, uninjured in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we have the ability to really offend each other pretty uh, easily and regularly. And uh, for those that are on my staff or hang out at church, uh, they'll say, Amen, Rob, you uh, really uh, ticked me off this week. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm fully aware of that, and, and so I apologize. But, you know, hey, we lead on anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, from a very uh, nominal uh, level where uh, as parents we offend our kids or our kids feel offended by our parents or our peers or uh, people are constantly uh, offending us uh, and we feel hurt by people on a constant basis. Now, some of it is really minor and trivial uh, and others uh, instances it's really uh, traumatic and it's deep and it's very uh, difficult uh, to overcome. I mean, the atrocities that uh, humans uh, can inflict on other humans is just mind-bending. I mean, and the justifications that we come up with uh, to do the things that we do uh, is just mind-bending. I mean, it's really uh, unbelievable what uh, humans can do to other humans. And uh, we ask, you know, where is God in this? And how do we get help from God in this? And and how do we live a life uh, where we've been on the abused end or where we've abused uh, somebody else? And so today, I, I want to talk about forgiveness. And uh, this forgiveness works uh, both ways. Uh, uh, firstly, uh, it's a sense of where we've offended somebody else. And uh, we desperately want to be forgiven. Uh, now, particularly in the eyes of God where we realize, God, I've offended you, and, and I want forgiveness from you, God. And, you know, from our standpoint, it's, it's great. Let, let, just grant me forgiveness. Just say, you know, you're set free. And, and, in, and remarkably, that's exactly what God does, what Jesus does for us. He forgives us, uh, irrespective of how egregious our uh, sin or offense has been. He, he forgives us. I mean, it's just it's hard to comprehend that. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, many of you are suffering from being abused by somebody else, be it physically abused, or if you've gone through a divorce, or you're in a divorce, or whatever, you know what it's like to feel uh, injured, uh, feel violated, uh, feel abused, uh, and uh, the question is, uh, how do you deal uh, with that situation? I mean, it might be egregious as rape or any other form of atrocity. If you've been involved in some sort of uh, war or political uh, conflict between uh, tribes or nations or, you know, the, the atrocities that we commit against each other. How do you get freedom if you've been on the receiving end of that? Uh, so uh, a story which kind of links, so to speak, South Africa with America uh, there was a young girl, Amy Beale, in 1994 that uh, was from California, from Newport Beach. And uh, she, like many 20-year-olds, uh, wanted to uh, give back to the world. Uh, and uh, after having gone to university, went to South Africa to be part of the first free election in South Africa. And uh, she wanted to be part of uh, helping uh, that cause. So she found herself in a, a very rough uh, township called Guguletu, which is like 10 minutes from Cape Town Airport, and it's just shanty towns. And uh, one afternoon, 
The day before she was due to fly back to America, uh, she was driving out of the township, and uh, unfortunately for her, uh, here's this blonde girl with blue eyes in a township where there's not a, a white person to be seen, and in the car with her are two uh, fellow uh, South Africans of mixed race, and uh, they run into a rally where at the rally, uh, it's been a whole bunch of black folks, and they've come out chanting one bullet for one white person. And uh, that's sort of the feel of the country. It's at boiling point, and uh, there's desire for revenge. And uh, they see this white girl, and they start throwing bricks at the car. They break the windshield. She, she draws to a halt. Uh, they pull open the door. They pull her out. They throw stones and rocks at her and kill her. Now, uh, the remarkable side of the story is uh, her parents end up having a relationship with her abusers and end up actually uh, loving them and hiring them. Now, in the natural, it's like, how do you ever possibly get from that end of the spectrum? Look, many of us go on short-term mission uh, trips. Many of us are sending our kids uh, in sort of overseas or could be in harm's way. If this worst-case scenario takes place, how do you ever get to the point of uh, not only forgiving but uh, having some sense of compassion for the person that's committed the atrocity? Well, in this particular case with Amy Beale, uh, it was at the time when Bishop Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of South Africa, had come up with this uh, really uh, strange idea, but it was a biblical idea. It was called the Truth in Reconciliation Committee. And uh, so what Bishop Tutu was trying to do is he was saying, look, there's a, uh, a way that we need to practice the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is when, when Jesus says, you need to love your enemy. How do you get to the point, practically, of forgiving and actually loving your enemy, not just your neighbor, your enemy? I mean, this is just like hard to imagine stuff. And uh, so what happened in this particular case of the Beals, the, because of the uh, spotlight put on this case by the press, because she was American, uh, they actually captured the perpetrators and put them in jail. They tried them and put them in jail. And I would honestly say, if it wasn't for the fact that she was American, they probably would have uh, gone unscathed and gotten away. But anyway, the perpetrators were, were caught, they were arrested, they were put in jail, and they were given a prison term of, I don't know how many years, you know, it was like, say, 18 years of prison. But after six years, serving six years, they applied for amnesty. And uh, the way this, uh, this Truth in Reconciliation Committee worked with uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu was you could be given amnesty as long as you told what you did. So you just had to come forward in a public forum, whoever wanted to be there, the people that you had offended, and you just had to say what you did. And if you would do that, you were given complete freedom. Now, how's that for a, like, how does this work kind of a thing? Uh, well, uh, you know, we could contrast how we do prison here in the States at the moment. We have many people incarcerated for many, many years. And at the end of all of that, we say, 
how do they come out? Do they come out better or bitter? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if the way we do it is better. But anyway, Tudu's idea was, okay, under South Africa, many of those that were involved in the white police, they were uh, torturing black people, uh, just like uh, Nelson Mandela had uh, endured. And now there's a change in power, and Nelson Mandela is now president, and it's black rule. And now we're dealing with, okay, what did the whites do that were particularly on the cutting edge of perpetrating torture? And so Tutu's uh, brainwave was, okay, all you have to do is just tell what you did, and you'll be set free. There's no crime, there's no penalty, there's no prison time, you're free. But on the other hand, if you don't come forward and confess what you've done, when we catch you, we will persecute, uh, prosecute you and put you in jail. I mean, so those, those are the options. And uh, the remarkable thing was, many people came forward and started confessing the atrocities that they had performed against others. And uh, some of the, the stories that have come out of that are just, like, really mind-bending, particularly Nelson Mandela. Uh, you know, some of you might know that uh, he was the first black uh, president of South Africa, and after being in prison for 27 years, he came out remarkably not bitter. But even more strangely, he ended up having a friendship and a relationship with some of the prison guards that were, you know, overseeing him and, and uh, putting, making his life miserable. In fact, he ended up hiring some of them uh, afterwards. I mean, just like, how does this happen? So uh, I want to talk about uh, forgiveness. How do we do this thing that the Bible is talking about? Is it even, is it even possible? Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what your story is or... Uh, what situation you find yourself in, whether it's something very traumatic that's happened in your life, uh, or whether it's, you know, just me irritating you like I normally do during the week, you know, and of course it's easy for me to say, I just want your forgiveness, I'm going to move on. No, but I mean, you know, what level is, we all just, it's at a different level, but we've all been uh, offended in one way, shape, or form. So what I'm trying to communicate today in my sermon, is this, is that we would experience today some degree of freedom through forgiveness, as much as we're able uh, to let go today in a sermon. Uh, it's trying to help those of you that are stuck with unforgiveness to get unstuck. Uh, it's trying to put into practice what Jesus is commanding us to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you. And the, the gist of this, uh, unpacking this, if, if the point that I'm trying to make is this, it's not to be offended twice. Uh, the wisdom of what Jesus is getting at here is the first offense is what somebody's done to you. But there's a second offense. Uh, that you need to be set free from, and that is getting out of the control of the person that's harmed you. Because unless we can get rid of that pain and get rid of that memory, we continue on a daily basis to be stuck in unforgiveness and suffering. So Jesus, I just pray uh, that you would help me uh, preach what has got to be one of the hardest things in the Bible that you telling us to do, encouraging us to do, 
So, Lord, I just ask you to just empower me to preach your word and to, uh, to do it with uh, really your authority and with your love. And, Lord, with the mystery of how your blood shed on the cross helps us to get through. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm also doing uh, this as part of a sermon series, a Leadership, Buildings, and Faith. And uh, one would have to ask the obvious question, uh, what does forgiveness have to do with a building project? You know, here I am every week talk, talking about, you know, let's raise money for our building, and uh, it's a building project that we're in. And uh, on that score, I'm excited to say that thank you for many of you that have uh, contributed a significant amount of money, and for many of you, it's been really sacrificial giving. I, I thank you for that, and uh, we have the encouraging a place now where we are starting to uh, uh, kick the tires. We, we've got the broker engaged. We're now going to be looking at buildings, and we're going to be seeing what we can buy at this point for about $2.5 million. Uh, that's uh, in line with what we can get from this building and what you guys have, have given us. So uh, that's kind of exciting. We'll see what's out there and where it is and, and what it is uh, uh, soon. Now, it doesn't really matter to me if we buy land and build, if we find a building and refurbish it, or if we lease something. Because here's the common thread. Uh, the focus isn't about buildings. The buildings is just to do the work of the ministry. Now, that's why this message on forgiveness kind of fits in with the series on leadership, buildings, and faith. Because the focus isn't the building. The focus is Jesus and what he wants to do in each one of our hearts and our lives. And forgiveness is a central part of keeping our eyes on the Lord and living a life that's full and that's free. It, it, you know, these are the things that give us life. The buildings are just utilitarian. We're not trying to create, design, build a building that we're going to, you know, fall in love with worship and hope it lives for forever and ever. No, I mean, a building is just a building. Okay, so I thank you for giving to a building. I'm not minimizing that, but I'm not, like, putting that up as the, the object of you know, the preaching each week. Now, what I have been preaching through is the book of Ezra and uh, Nehemiah. And uh, what I want to uh, point out in this whole idea of uh, buildings and forgiveness in these books uh, is this. Uh, if you uh, can find your way to uh, Ezra, uh, Ezra was involved with uh, getting the exiles, coming out of uh, bondage, out of slavery, back to Jerusalem, and rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah was interested in rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Now, it, it could easily be seen in these two books, like the whole object is the building project. But uh, once they've got the building project done, or should I say Ezra, the emphasis there was, hey, we need to get back into the sacrificial system under the Old Testament because we want to be right with God and we want our lives to be blessed by God. And uh, Ezra's realizing that as slaves, they've been mistreated, they've been abused, and they are uh, in desperate need of God's love and blessing. And the vehicle in the Old Testament to do that was through the sacrificial system. So once they got it up and running, uh, but before everybody like moves back into Jerusalem, and before life carries on as usual, uh, the priests... Ezra and Nehemiah, the leader, say, we got business to do. And we got serious business to do. And the serious business wasn't rebuilding the walls in the temple. Uh, and so in verse 
in chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, When these things had been done, had been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, Many of the people of Israel, and even some of the priests, the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the other peoples living in the land. They have taken up detestable practices of the Canaanites, Hittites, and all these other uh, tribes around them. And at the end of it, it says, Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage. Okay, so what is going on? Look, God had a special plan for his people, the Jewish people. He wanted them to be uh, live a different kind of a lifestyle, a separate lifestyle. And he knew that the one thing that was going to wreck the plan was if they integrated with the peoples around them and picked up their worship and religious practices. And probably the most detestable practice from those living around them was baby sacrifice. So people would take their first baby that was born and they would sacrifice it to some strange god for the hope that maybe their crops would produce you know, more, more abundance or that it would rain more. But I mean, there was this you know, human baby, your first child being sacrificed. God said, this is detestable. I don't want you to mix with these people. I don't want you to worship the way they worship. I've got a different plan for you. And so the folks come back out of slavery. They come back to Jerusalem. And what do they do? They pick up the exact practices of all the people around them. And, you know, like Ezra is just pulling his hair out. He's saying, man, we've just got the sacrificial system going again. We're just trying to get right with God. But people aren't changing their lifestyles. They're still picking up the practices of these people. And he says, we need to stop. We need to repent. We need to ask God for forgiveness. And so they go through this whole exercise. And in a similar way, in Nehemiah, in chapter 9, as it so happens, both chapter 9, uh, they have this national confession. They get all the people around. And basically it goes this way. Uh, you can read it the whole of chapter 9. It's kind of a long uh, a chapter. But they say, listen, let's just take a breath here and realize that we are just repeating the mistakes that we've made in the past. And we need to break the cycle. We were slaves in Egypt. God came miraculously, set us free, and put us into the promised land. We messed up, and we ended up being slaves in Babylon, and now God has miraculously rescued us and put us back in the promised land. God wants to bless us if we will only live the way God wants us to live. I mean, that's, in a nutshell, uh, what's going on here. And verse 28 kind of sums it up, and you'll recognize your lifestyle and my lifestyle in this. But as soon as they went, uh, but as soon as they were at peace, your people again committed evil in your sight, and once more you let their enemies conquer them. Yet whenever your people turned and cried to you again for help, you listened once more from heaven. In your wonderful mercy, you rescued them many times. Look, here's, here's what's going on. You and I both do this. We mess our lives up. We find ourselves trapped and in a corner, and we say, oh, God, please help me. I've totally messed up. If only you could, like, get me out of this mess. I can't get myself out of this mess. Can you only get me out of this mess? And miraculously, God does just that. He gets us out of the mess. He gives us peace. He gives us hope. And then we say, oh, I don't need God anymore. I'll just do my own thing. I know how to make money. I know how to have fun. I know how to enjoy my life. And off you go, and the next minute, you're back in the same trap that you were before. And you say, oh, God, I've messed up. I need your help. And you know, we just repeat the cycle. And so the priests and the, and the leaders are saying, please, can we put an end to this? And the way this relates to the New Testament, 
and to Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in a similar way, you just look at the way this is located in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Just before this, we've got uh, Jesus, uh, you know, the whole birth narrative coming into Christmas, and then uh, Jesus goes through temptation, and Jesus, uh, you know, chooses his 12 disciples, and then he gives these instructions on the Sermon on the Mount. That is, before he does the building of his ministry, before he goes out and does all the healing, he says, hey, listen, uh, these are some of the changes of the way we understand the Old Testament. And this is what he says. He says in verse 38 of chapter 5 of Matthew, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, so an Old Testament principle, uh, pretty much the principle that the rest of the world today is still running on. You mess with me and I'll mess with you. You know, and whether it be on a global scale, you know, politics or wars or whatever, it's like you beat my tribe up, I'll get my tribe to beat your tribe up. You injure me, I'll injure you. You sue me, I'll sue you. I mean, you know, get even. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. But I say, do not resist an evil person. What? If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. And, you know, we focus on the lesser thing, uh, you know, go the extra mile. But we battle to focus on this next verse. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And uh, that's got to be one of the hardest commands in the Bible for us to actually do. I mean, one thing to just read it, but actually do it. Love people that persecute you and have issued hatred towards you and to deal with that. So... Uh, Back to the South Africa situation. Uh, through all the problems and the turmoil that was percolating in the early 90s, a country that was doomed to be a bloodbath where everybody was going to get revenge and everybody else, uh, it didn't turn out that way. And from my perspective, and this might just be my perspective, there were three major uh, factors involved here. The one was uh, God was up to something in terms of calling people to repentance so that have prayer meetings. Now, I don't know about how you've experienced a prayer meeting, but, you know, when we do prayer meetings here at the church, we have a few people show up. You know, and Sue and Helen will do like little gigs here on the stage and whatever to try and get you excited about a prayer meeting, and then we'll have a few people show up. But in South Africa, when they had a prayer meeting, they had to do it in the rugby stadium. Like 80,000 people would show up. Now, that's a prayer meeting. And when 80,000 people are saying, oh, God, please, we're desperate. This is going to be a bloodbath unless you intervene. Lord, how do we forgive each other, you know, right here in the stadium? Oh, God. And, and people actually show up to these meetings. You know something's happening, right? I mean, like God's moving. And then you see someone like Nelson Mandela become the president and not be bitter and twisted. And then you see someone like the Archbishop Desmond Tutu really take this one scripture and say, okay, 
here's a practical model. This is how we're going to deal with our problems. This is how we're going to deal with our forgiveness issues. You know, let's, let's do this. And Tutu said this. He said, look, I've got no clue how this is going to work out. I mean, this could be horrible. And uh, it worked out pretty well. But, you know, it wasn't, it, it, like no two cases were the same. It wasn't like, okay, if everybody just follows this procedure and we do step one, step two, step three, we'll have the same end result. Oh, no, each case is its own. And so uh, this book, which I found extremely helpful, uh, Desmond Tutu with his daughter uh, wrote uh, this book basically saying this is what they did, this is the model that they followed, this was the procedures that any person can, can do to get freedom in their own lives, whether it be on a national scale, and Tutu was then used for Northern Ireland conflict and uh, Israel-Palestine conflict and, you know, Tutus in, uh, in uh, Rwanda and that, that whole uh, genocide saga. I mean, the same principle he was doing on, all, on a global scale as well as on an individual scale. And uh, so I'm quoting a lot from this book and I'm going to be re, uh, referring to it. But um, uh, Desmond Tutu, The Book of Forgiveness. I don't know if you've got a slide there for that or not, uh, Kevin, but there we have it. Here's what uh, Tutu says in this book, many of the things I'm going to quote here. He says, there is, uh, there is no end to the evil ways that we can treat others and the reasons we come up with to justify it. But there is also no end to the human capacity for healing. There's no end to our human capacity for healing. I mean, he's, he's seen, basically, that people can get healed no matter how dramatic and traumatic the experience has been. So, you know, again, what's your experience? You know, where are you hurting? Where are you suffering? Where have you received injury? Where have you been misunderstood or abused or uh, mistreated? Or, uh, you know, I mean, we just go through life with tremendous amount of, of hurt. But what are we going to do about it? And uh, Tutu also says, we can find hope in the most hopeless situations. And we can heal any relationship that needs healing. Wow, those are pretty broad comments. There is nothing that cannot be forgiven. Now, is that for a statement? when you think of some of the, <clears throat> the worst atrocities. And he says, there is no one undeserving of forgiveness. <clears throat> now again, if you're on the receiving end and you have somebody in your mind that has hurt you, abused you, offended you, violated you, this is not exactly what you want to hear, that there's no one undeserving of forgiveness. Because your human instinct is you want even. You want justice and you want that person to suffer and pay. I mean, that's just the way it works. But here's the problem. When we respond in our natural, broken, fallen, human way, it works like this. Let me just take the literal eye for an eye. Uh, somebody gouges my eye out and I, I'm blind in my eye. And I say, okay, I'm really mad. I want the person that gouged my eye out to have their eye gouged out. So we get somebody to gouge their eye out. The problem with this is I still have an eye 
that's been gouged out. I am still injured. Just because the other person has their eye gouged out just means now we're both mad and we haven't found peace and I'm not satisfied that justice has been done, that they've suffered the equal amount of hurt that I'm, I'm still mad. I don't have an eye. So, you know, this is the way we work. Somebody cuts us off in traffic and we, you know, just wish the worst in them or somebody sues us in court and we just hope that, you know, they get done in just equally badly or whatever it is. We want the same that's happened to us, that they suffer the same the way we suffered. And Jesus is saying there's a whole other way of doing this. But it's counterintuitive. It's counter our sinful nature. It's totally what Christ has done on the cross. And so uh, before we can sort of grasp what it means to forgive somebody, uh, Tutu is saying in his book, well, let me help you with some of the pitfalls which sort of prevent us from just forgiving people. He says, well, the one pitfall is if somebody just says, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we say, well, you know, if you would say I'm sorry and you actually mean it, then maybe that would help. You know, like two kids, your, your kids are fighting and the one says, well, I'm sorry. And then the other kid says, well, he's not really sorry. He just said, I'm sorry. And said, well, that didn't solve anything. He said, well, if you actually meant that you were sorry, and by the way, meaning you're sorry would be like you change your behavior and you act differently, that would be really great. Maybe then I could forgive you. And Tutu says something with incredible wisdom. He says, the strings we attach to the gift of forgiveness become the chains that the perpetrator uses to continue to bind us, control us, and hurt us. Let me explain this. If we say, I will offer forgiveness to you if you will just say you're sorry. Or, I add another condition, you say you're sorry and you actually mean it. Or, I add a third condition, you say you're sorry, you actually mean it, and you actually change. What happens if you don't? Do you understand that I have given you the power for my freedom? And now you control me again because you're not gonna, you decided you're not going to do it. And now I'm stuck. That's the problem. So there's some other reasons we don't want to just offer forgiveness. Uh, sometimes we feel that if we offer forgiveness, we're really saying that the injury didn't really happen. Or we try to minimize the injury. We say, yeah, it did happen, but, you know, uh, I, I, you know I played a part in it. You know, I, I know I was raped, but, you know, I was, you know, at the wrong place at the wrong time. And you kind of minimize what happened to yourself. No, that's, that's not the right, right thinking. It's not to make the, the injury that you've suffered seem less or smaller or like you're, you're at fault. No, you've got to just leave it the way it is. That's not a reason to not forgive. Another way is, oh, it's just too easy. If I just say you're forgiven, that just seems too easy. Well, actually, it's not easy. It takes a lot of brave, hard work emotionally to be able to just say you're forgiven. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, sometimes people feel it's just weakness. I, I, you know, I'm offering forgiveness because I'm too weak to suck it up. Uh, and that's not true either. Here's a little uh, a misunderstood treasure. My forgiveness is not a gift 
that I'm offering you. It's a gift I'm giving myself. Okay, you just, like, this, like, thought really has to permeate. Because it's not a gift. Like, the person that's really ticked you off, that's offended you, that's hurt you, you're not giving that person a gift. You're giving yourself a gift. The gift you're giving yourself is the gift of freedom and of peace and of joy. That's what you do. That's why you offer them forgiveness with no strings attached. You just forgive them. Well, obviously, Tutu took people through a process, and uh, this process requires a little bit of hard work. And the hard work is because emotionally, we have to like re-go through at some level as much as we can to get in touch with what uh, took place. And that's why it's hard work, and it's not easy. And uh, obviously, in a sermon like this, I don't have time uh, to tease out each one of these steps. So I'm going to give you the four steps, and it's your bulletin insert, uh, that Tutu used in all these meetings that he described in this book. And the four steps are this, are these. The first step is you need to tell your story. Now, you've got to understand that you tell your story, uh, and this is, you know, um, well, let me say this. This Saturday at 10 o'clock, if you want to go through this process, I want to walk you through this process. Now, I'm not Desmond Tutu. I'm not an expert in this. We'll stumble through this together. But uh, what I am saying is uh, we will share our story. What is your story? It might be helpful to actually write it down in point form or in longhand or whatever form. But you need to be able to tell your story the way you understand it without anybody interrupting you, without anybody like asking you questions, and without anybody saying, well, that's not quite the way it happened. No, just your story, the way you feel it, and the way you understand it. That's the first step for experiencing forgiveness. The next step that Tutu found was to actually name the hurt. Name it. This is what was done to me that I found so egregious. This is what happened to me. You actually name it. Not generalize it, not get around, you know, specifically name it or might be more than one hurt, many hurts. Then the fourth, the third step is to actually grant forgiveness. And then the fourth step is to rework the relationship. Now, each one of these steps needs a lot more kind of coaching and explanation, and uh, it could easily be that you cannot emotionally uh, get yourself to go through all four steps in one sitting. Uh, you know, it depends how deep and how hard you want to work at it and where you are emotionally. This is tough stuff. Um, but let me just uh, give a little bit of language to like the granting of forgiveness. Essentially, you're getting to the point where you're going to say to the, whoever's offended you, not with them present, I forgive them. No strings attached. I forgive them. You, that's the point that I'm going to try and take you to. Now, you may or may not be able to get there. And then reworking the relationship uh, in the story that I opened with, Amy Beals, that was like the, you know, the best case scenario, right? 
the miraculous story where, okay, the murderer and the family are now restored and they have a wonderful, uh, working, loving relationship. I mean, that's like, great. I mean, if you can have that happen, wonderful. But, I mean, for most people, that's not going to be the outcome. Uh, A restored relationship might simply be, I release that person. I mean, there's no dialogue between you and the other person. There's no contact between you and the other person. It's a releasing the other person. The restored relationship is this person has no more control over me. And I release them and I give them to the Lord. So uh, let me just uh, summarize and finish up this way. When... uh, We look at Ezra, we look at Nehemiah, they've got all these building programs, and they say, wait, we need to pause and focus on what's important. We look at Jesus, he's got this great ministry ahead, he paused and he said, wait, let's look at what's important, the Sermon on the Mount, this forgiving other people, it's going to be the story of his life which unfolds right to the end, to the cross. Now just picture this scene with Jesus on the cross. The first thing he does is he says, Father, Forgive them. These are the people that have perpetrated, that have whipped him, that have killed him, that have put him on the cross, that have done the most unimaginable things possible to Jesus. Jesus says to the Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they've done. Jesus is the supreme role model in human form, uh, doing things that we say are impossible. He's saying it is possible. Okay, he dies on the cross. He does. He offers forgiveness. But think about the two thieves on the crosses next to Jesus. The one thief has got no desire for forgiveness. And the other thief says to Jesus, Jesus, you know, I've messed up. I've probably murdered somebody. And Jesus' response to him is, you will be with me today in heaven because he has faith in Jesus. Jesus has granted and offered him forgiveness. Now, also think of this part. Jesus did not remove him from the cross. He still suffered and paid the price and went through the pain of the cross, the thief. But the outcome was eternal and was one of, of you know, freedom and joy. Whereas the other thief, right next to him, doing the exact same thing, outcome was totally the opposite. He died also on the cross, miserable as a convicted, probably murderer. And so we do have a choice. And the choice is, do we and are we able to respond to God for healing? Now, I understand that this is, you know, depending on the level of, of where you're at, this is no simple or easy thing. So why don't we have the worship team uh, come on up and uh, close us out for a song, and, and then I, I want us to respond for those that would like to uh, for prayer. But uh, Jesus, I just uh, thank you that uh, you did die on the cross. And Lord, your blood was shed for us. And Lord, you do have this ability to take our uh, offenses, our sins, and to, as that song that we sang in the opening, make our lives white like snow because of the blood that you shed on the cross. Lord, we understand this is a profound mystery. But we also understand this is a profound reality. 
that when we put our faith in you, when we admit our uh, sin, the things that we've done that offend you, and confess these things, you set us free. You give us a, an unbelievable joy and freedom. And Lord, I, we also understand that that's what you're commanding us to do to others, to love our neighbors, and to pray for those that persecute us. So Lord, uh, we just ask for truly an unbelievable uh, power of your Holy Spirit to rise up within us and to respond the way that you want us to and to live this life the way you want us to live it with joy and with freedom. And we thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a way to do that. Uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we just stand and let's uh, close and, and then we'll respond in, in prayer. Bless you. Lord Jesus, we just acknowledge that uh, we desperately do uh, need you. We realize when we sort of over our heads, uh, and we really can't live this life well without you. It's too easy for us to offend you and to offend others. So Lord, I, I do ask uh, for your, your grace, for your Holy Spirit to rise up within us, to convict us of the things that we do that offend you, and the things that we do that offend others. And to take our part to be responsible before you for our actions. And to release others for what they've done to us. Because you command us to do so. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, I want to close this way with our prayer team. Um, you know, again, this forgiveness cuts two ways. Some of you have a, a need or a sense that you need to be forgiven by God. You, you know that you've messed up in God's eyes and you're trapped in your own bondage, your own sin. You feel guilty before God and you need to get forgiven by God. I encourage you to come forward and have somebody in our prayer team pray for you for forgiveness. Now, you can confess as much or as little as you feel comfortable to do. I do, unfortunately, have to insert a legal uh, warning, so to speak. And that is this. Uh, as church members, as clergy in this country and in this state, if you confess that you've murdered somebody, we have to go and report you. And I'm saying that to say this. If you come forward and you confess, you need to be mindful of what you're doing. That's, that's the law which we operate in. We are mandated reporters for certain offenses. That's why we have a, a prayer team which is trained. And that's why just not anybody is part of the prayer team. Uh, so, you know, I encourage you to come forward and confess what you've done uh, and get set free uh, with the Lord. Uh, on the other hand, uh, maybe you the victim here and you trapped because somebody's uh, done something to you and you're stuck in that, you're unable to forgive. I highly recommend you come on Saturday uh, to the class that I'm going to do, this workshop, as we work through this. Now, I know you would have liked six months' notice, and I know you would like the letter in the mail and a personal phone call and get it on your calendar 
And I didn't do all that because obviously I couldn't explain all of that in advance. So all I'm saying is cancel whatever you got on Saturday and show up on Saturday. On Saturday. It's as simple as that. I mean, decide what's more of a priority. Uh, if other things are a priority, do that. If you need to make things happen, show up here. And we're going to have to need the Lord to guide us Saturday. But from 10 o'clock until 1 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, on the other hand, uh, some of you are at the point where you know, you're kind of overwhelmed. I encourage you to come forward and offer forgiveness to those that have done something against you that have offended you. Now, that could be at different levels. Maybe it's easy. You can come forward and say, I just forgive them. On the other hand, maybe they're just totally overwhelming. And really your prayer is, God, just give me the strength to even consider helping or, or forgiving somebody. And, and that's totally okay too. So if that's you, Come on up uh, for prayer, um, and uh, if you want to have coffee or engage in conversation, go out into the lobby, uh, engage there, but come forward if you'd like prayer.